Hey, welcome to Ask a Pastor. This is a podcast that we are doing just to interact with questions that you may have. If you're part of Orchard Hill, if you've never been to Orchard Hill, but you've stumbled across this, we'd love to interact with your questions. And so many of you have sent questions that it's been great just to see so much interest in this. And so if you have a question, you can send it to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. And we will be happy to address it at some future time when we're addressing questions. And so today I'm joined by Dan Shields. Dan has been the worship leader here at Orchard Hill since I think going all the way back to what, 1999? Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Like yeah, that. it's 98, 99. Yeah, yeah I think exactly. I was in middle century. school at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but <laughs> he is much older than me and wiser. And so uh, Dan is a great guy uh, beyond leading the worship here, has a, has a great family, but really a heart for theology and understanding God, studying scripture, and that comes through all the time in what Dan does. And so uh, Dan, uh, today uh, we have a couple different questions that have been sent in. Uh, the first one is really around the issue of justification and sanctification, mm. which are big church words. If uh, you're not familiar with those words, don't worry about it. I'll uh, I kind of define that here as I read this question. It's a long question, but it really gets to something that's significant. And so I love the question. It says, if possible, can you comment on if this below, if these thoughts are biblical? Um, answer the questions at the end. Thanks in advance. Everyone who professes Jesus as Savior is at the same level of justification. Justification is a word that means declared right by God. And so to say everyone's at the same level of justification means the status or the standing that we have the moment that somebody trusts Jesus as their Savior. So everyone's at the same level of justification, but at different levels of sanctification. Sanctification is a word that means growing in your Christ-likeness. And so to say everyone's at the same level of justification means, means you have a legal standing that's given to you in Jesus if and when you believe. Sanctification means the actual experience, the outworking of this. So, so people are at different levels of sanctification. However, if you can't sanctify yourself, sanctification comes from God, the confusing part is your choices matter even though God is completely sovereign. This is why self-righteous church people are on the same level concerning sanctification as drunkards or the sexually immoral. I read somewhere the danger of this, at least with the traditionally bad sins, there is a better, and that was in quotes bad sins, a better understanding of the potential problem. The self-righteous leave a path of destruction in their wake without any self-awareness of the pain that they cause. Drunkards may do this too, but as a rule, they can see the destruction in the wake of the hangover that's uh, in the next drink. I pray fervently that as I become more sanctified, the devil never lulls me into self-righteousness. Am I becoming self-righteous for pointing out the self-righteousness of others, or maybe worse, yet prideful? How does one do the church thing without developing a destructive self-righteous pattern uh, when you're around so many self-righteous people? And then this person puts Luke 18, 13, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So Dan, um, comment. (laughs) Unpack Um, that. That's right. Make sense of that. Well, you know, there's a lot in that question, first of all, I think that are really important things. So one of the first things was that definition of justification that you gave. Um, And I think that's an important concept that I think a lot of people not just in the church, but throughout the world could really misinterpret uh, because of their viewpoint. So if, if you consider justification of getting yourself right with God somehow, whatever that, that is. So I heard somebody years ago say, it's just as if I never sinned. You know, so erasing the sins, making yourself right with God, gaining entrance to heaven, like how does that happen and what's that all about? And I, I think that's an important question because that really is, I think more than any other single word, 
the word that defines the difference between Christianity and all other viewpoints of religions throughout the rest of the world. So I think most religions, you could sort of boil them down, and this is a, a vast oversimplification, but I think you really can boil them down to saying that religions are a sense of I do something. So I have a set of rules, regulations, formulas of things that I do or don't do that will really make me right with God. So, you know, most people in the world, I think, uh, in the Western world, they would say, you know, how do you get to heaven? How do you get made right with God? They'd say, well, you know, you should be a pretty good person. And if I'm a better person than most of the people in the world, you know, if uh, God grades on a curve and I'm up in the you know, upper half, which I, I am, because I'm definitely better than my friends and my neighbors <laughs> and my mother-in-law, uh, you know, I'm gonna make it into heaven. Mm -hmm. And religion also does the same sort of thing. It says you do a certain amount of works, you do a certain amount of penance, or you do a certain amount of, you know, uh, you know, if you're a Muslim, you do a pilgrimage, the Hajj, you know, or you do the eightfold uh, path or something like that. Whatever it is that you have to do these certain things, and that's how you're made right with God. Well, Christianity has a real differentiation. And I think Christianity, what it says is not I do something, but God has done something on my behalf that I couldn't do. Mm. So Jesus Christ himself went to the cross to pay for the sins of you and me. He really took on our sinfulness. The theologians would say it was imputed sinfulness onto Christ on the cross. And instead, he imputed righteousness to us who believe in him. And that's a really big deal. You know, when you say like, um, my righteousness is not my own. It's something that Christ has done for me. It's not by works, it says in Ephesians 2.8, I think it is, uh, that anyone can boast. It's not making us boastful, but it's, it's saying God has done something that I couldn't do myself. So I think that's a, a really important first mm -hmm. understanding of that whole justification process. So that, mm -hmm. that speaks to the beginning part of that question. Yeah, yeah, and, and it would seem that part of the question here is how do I grow in my own spiritual life without becoming self-righteous and absolutely and as soon as i start to point out anybody else's self-righteousness aren't i being self-righteous and the answer to that is absolutely right, um, right and in fact what that highlights in many ways is why it's so important that that we have a consistent understanding that we are not justified by our level of sanctification and and to use these words what i mm -hmm. think a lot of people presume is that God loves me based on how well I'm doing. Right. And so the better I do, the more God loves me or at least likes me. Yes. Uh, maybe I know he loved me and settled on the cross, but, yes. but if I don't sin a lot and I'm nice to people and I have a quiet time, I go to church, I give 10%, I do all these things, then somehow I'm more lovable. Right. Rather than, than I'm completely loved and justified regardless of how, how sanctified I am. And then people will say, well, well then it doesn't matter how I live. Uh, and, and speak to that. How, yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. does somebody who says, well, if, if, if my justification is settled, yes. then it doesn't matter how I live. What, what would you say to somebody who, who kind of postulates that? Well, well, there's a couple things. In the beginning of what you said, I think was really important. And that was, um, <laughs> as I would expect, <laughs> um, you know, there's something that you've said a lot of times that, that really sticks with me. And th this speaks to the humility aspect, you know, because we come before God uh, sinful. It says, you know, in, in Romans that uh, God demonstrates his own love for this, and uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
uh, and you've often said uh, the worst thing that can be said about you has been mm. said by God, that we're a sinner before a holy God, mm. that we can't be made right by our own works. We just, mm-hmm. you know, when you fall short on one part of the law, you're a lawbreaker, it says in James. You're in the series mm-hmm. on James now. Uh, and that's, that's right. So we stand broken before God, put right by Christ. But, you know, uh, the best thing has been said about us, and that's that God loved us so much that he sent his only son for us and on mm-hmm. our, our behalf. Well, that's a, a very humbling thing, and that changes everything. Um, and you, you've also said this other phrase, you say that uh, you know, we're not uh, people who are showing people what the truth is, you know, we're, we're not like this demonstration of this shiny, polished saint or something like that. We're just merely a beggar showing another beggar mm-hmm. where they can find bread. So you know, as far as like sharing the truth of the gospel with people, that they're beloved of God, mm-hmm. but they've fallen short and that Jesus has made a way for them, um, you know, it's, it's just a simple truth that you're sharing. It's not saying I'm better than you. It's right. saying that, you know, I'm, I'm as bad or worse than anybody that I know. And the more I know myself, the more I see the depth of my sin. Yeah. But Jesus has done something on my behalf. And I just want to share that with you yeah. to be able to share that truth. And, you know, just because, uh, uh, you know, if let, let's say that I uh, was terribly out of shape and I was telling you, you should exercise and, and eat right. Well, just because I'm out of shape, it doesn't mean that what mm-hmm. I say is not true. You know, mm-hmm. so just because Christians don't always live up to the life that they're called to live, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't share that truth with people in love. Uh, but it is, you know, condemning for them as far as, you know, how they live their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, the, the last kind of question that this person asked is, how do I do the church thing and not fall into self-righteousness? And, and it would seem to me like, like, like the key to that is partly on a person, but mm. it's also on the community that you identify with. Because oh, if, true, you, yes. if you get to become part of a church that is constantly saying, do this, perform better, and we are the ones who perform well, look at us, we're the models to the world of what it means to be a Christ follower. Um, although that sounds spiritual, mm. there, there's a sense in which it invokes a pride and an us, them, and elitism. And, and it's actually a fairly easy way to grow a church because it, it helps people feel like, like I'm one of the good people and the bad people are out there. And what I would say is, is the way that you avoid falling into the trap of self-righteousness is identify with a group, with a congregation, with a church that is so clear in its gospel-centered theology, its reformed theology, that, that what they continually say is, no, we're all sinful people who need mm. a savior. And part of what we do in coming together is we remind ourselves, that's part of the liturgy of coming together, to remind ourselves that, that we do have a Savior, that our, our sanctification is not tied to our justification, that, that we celebrate what God has done and that that is what moves us then to say, I want to live a life that is honoring to God rather than I'm living in order to get something. Mm. I'm living in order to gain a validation. And it's so subtle, but it's so profound. And, and the tells of that are really when, when you're in a church where people can acknowledge their brokenness, their mm. sinfulness. If, so if you much, have yes. to pretend in a church context, um, that's not a good sign. Now, I'm not talking about you know, a random person in a lobby somewhere mm-hmm. saying, I'm not gonna tell them my worst thing. But, but if you can't be real, Mm-hmm. about what's going on, about what you really feel and experience, then you're in a culture that is either not authentic and not gospel-saturated, mm-hmm. or the culture is that, but you have personally um, so made your, your choices around this issue 
that that you are not living in the reality of of that totally. distinction yeah because you know it always all comes back to the gospel you you never grow beyond mm -hmm. the gospel in the center of the gospel uh no matter how far along you get in your spiritual life it all comes down that there's a holy god mm -hmm. and we're sinful people who need a savior mm -hmm. and you know what what happens those people after they come to christ i think they they get this turned all around again and what happens and it is subtle it's exactly what you said it's a very subtle thing they try to curry favor with god or earn his love through their works mm -hmm. But it's, it's backwards. We, we should do the works. Mm -hmm. I mean, James talks about that. You know, faith without works mm -hmm. is dead. But it's, it's a response, just like you said. So instead of me trying to win God's favor, it's me realizing, recognizing that I've won God's favor through Jesus Christ. He has already said that he wants me as his mm -hmm. child and that as I receive him and believe in him, I become his child and then I'm beloved. And out of that, I get a response, hopefully, of love. You know, like my, my uh, dad was a great dad. And you know, I probably did some really stupid things when I was young, and I probably did things that embarrassed him, and I did things that frustrated him, but I was always his child. And you know, knowing that my dad was a loving, gracious father, it really did help me to want to respond and make him proud of me and do the right things. I wasn't trying to earn his love, but I was responding to who he was as a person and uh, you know, desiring that uh, you know, our relationship would grow deeper and that uh, you know, I wanted to do things that, that would make him happy because I loved him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well said, well said. Here's a, another question. This question is, I've heard that Elevation Church, uh, the church that Stephen Furtick is the pastor of, ha hires people to sit in the audience and shout amen and cheer during the sermon. What's your take on this? And uh, j just before I ask you, Dan, to, to comment on that, I just want to be clear that we're not alleging this. Uh, I had heard that somebody say this that I guess had been paid came out and said, hey, I was paid to do this. I don't know that that's true. Maybe they gave the person some gas money. Maybe it was misconstrued. Maybe it's all made up. So, so I don't want to um, be on record as saying, hey, we think this is happening. But if it were to happen there or somewhere else uh, where somebody yeah. were to say, let's pay somebody to, you know, raise their hands and be excited right, right. in worship or, you know, to shout amen or whatever during yes, a yes. message. What, what would be your take? Well, I mean, initial take is it's it's funny and it's a little bit embarrassing for the church, of course. But, you know, th there is something a little bit deeper behind this that I think is important to think about. And that's the value of group dynamics. Um, what I mean by that, by that, you know, if you go to a football game and everybody's sitting with arms crossed, you'll have a boring experience. If you go to a football game and everybody's cheering and has their hands up in the air, it, it'll be really exciting for you because of the dynamics that are in a room. Um, I think if, if that is true, and I, again, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is true, I think what they were trying to do was change the dynamic in the room. So they wanted a room to be alive and engaged where people really sort of uh, open up and let down their defenses and really get to experience the worship service uh, in a very powerful way. Now, I, I don't think in that part of it there's anything negative. So, you know, if, um, let's say, a church would tell their members, like, you know, hey, it would be great for you to be more dynamically engaged somehow or something like that. Oh, I, I get that. I think where they cross the line is they paid somebody to do it. So that really smacks of manipulation and something that's uh, a little bit disingenuous. But, you know, the, the point behind it, though, of, of, you know, the importance of group dynamics in a room, I think is a, a valid point that I understand. It's just like, you know, if you watch a comedy show, they have a laugh mm -hmm. track behind it. 
that's disingenuous, but it does make the show funnier when you watch it mm -hmm. and you hear the laugh track. You have a tendency to laugh out loud yeah. a lot more than if you don't have that. So I, I do get it, even though I, I don't particularly yeah. like the idea, you know? Yeah, yeah, I could see where people would have a lot of different takes. I mean, I'm sure some would say you're trying to help the Holy Spirit along as if the Holy Spirit isn't <laughs> Needed enough. Help, yeah. but, but I think a church is often at an intersection of trying to create an experience, but also saying, we never want to cross a line into something that's inauthentic. Yes. And, and any time that, that your tension has to be resolved, my take would be it should be resolved toward the authentic side, not the experience side. Meaning, I, I think when you said it feels like it crosses a line to pay somebody, yes. that to me would feel like, like it tipped more toward the, uh, we, we don't care if it's inauthentic as long as we create the experience and the ends almost justifies the means. Absolutely. And I would say in, in most contexts, what you want in a church is you want things to be authentic first. Right. And and whatever that experience is. Now, again, if you can help an experience be better by, by urging some things or, or trying to help some things, that's one thing. But somewhere in there, there's a line that you can cross. Absolutely. Where, where it becomes manipulation, it becomes um, trying to stack something and make something happen. Like another thing I've heard, and I, I don't remember which church this was, but, but there was a church that was doing a public baptism, a spontaneous baptism. And so they had several people who had pre-agreed to be baptized, mm -hmm. who when they called for the spontaneous baptism, hopped out of their seats and ran forward to be <laughs> baptized. Um, and I don't know that they paid anybody, but yes. they just said, hey, we're just priming the pump. We're just trying to get other yeah. people, to your point, the group dynamics. To me, that feels borderline uh, again. Well, it can be emotional manipulation, which, it, yeah. which you have to be, you know, in my world. So I, I uh, head up the worship department and... Uh, so I do a lot of the programming and, and I have intentionally found pieces before that I knew would have some like really high level emotional pop, whatever it is, you mm -hmm. know, something that was really funny or something that felt really weighty and heavy. Uh, and I have made decisions in the past not to use those things because I felt it smacked of emotional manipulation. Mm -hmm. Now, oftentimes I do things that I hope get a really good emotional mm -hmm. response and I hope really touch people, but there have been times in the past where I said, this feels like a tipping point to me and I don't want, it to be disingenuous. I want people to really encounter the real God, and if they really encounter God, their lives will be changed. They'll experience something they've never experienced before, but if we just manipulate an experience from mm -hmm. stage, then we're probably doing something that's not quite right because right. it won't last beyond that Sunday morning. When they go home, their lives won't be changed, but if they really encounter God, something right. will change permanently in their lives, and that's what we're really ultimately looking for. Yeah, you know? yeah no, uh, and I certainly get when you're speaking or leading worship, any response sometimes from the congregation feels positive because good, you, yeah, it, yeah. it's feedback. And right. so, you know, I think your analogy of a football game or a basketball game mm. or a sporting event where, where fans are engaged, it's good. But I, again, yeah. it seems like taking the step to pay somebody to produce the experience might be across a line if indeed uh, somebody was doing that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, um, what do you see as the biggest problem in the church today or in Christianity? And what do you see as the solution? So, so what do you see as the biggest problem? What's the, what's oh, the best solution? Well, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big and loaded question. And of course, I can't answer that question. But I, I can tell you a couple things. First of all, I, th I think you do have to ask the question, what do you mean by church? And what I mean by that is, you mean the, the big church, the universal church? Uh, because different churches, I think, could answer that very differently. So what I mean by that is, like, if you ask the Catholic Church today what their biggest problem is, they would probably have a very different answer than if you asked the North Korean Church mm. what their problem is, or the Evangelical American Church. 
So let, let me take the smaller one first. Uh, I'll just take the more localized American church, what, what we deal with. Um, one of the problems that I see, and, and I, I, could, I could list a whole bunch of different things. You know, so I could talk about Bible reading or prayer or you know, all kinds of different things like that, being gospel-centered. You know, those are all real issues. But I think one of the problems in America that the church has, and this is gonna sound funny, but, but I do see it this way, is a PR problem. And what I mean by that is, I think the portrayal that uh, a lot of Americans see, especially non-believers, of who the church is, is not necessarily representative or indicative of who the church really is. And I don't wanna call it fake mm -hmm. news, I don't think it's that. Uh, and a lot of it is us. So, you know, there's, there's sort of Christians out there that, uh, you know, will, hold up signs that are very offensive or they'll burn books in a very offensive way uh, or they'll say things that are very demeaning and disrespectful to people. Uh, and you know, you, you hear a lot from the church that gets portrayed in the media especially that basically tells the story of what we stand against. And you know, some of those things are legitimate. Sometimes the church really does stand against certain things, certain moral things that uh, you know, we, we should as the church stand against. But one of the problems with that is there can be misrepresentations that are not really true. You know, sometimes I'll turn on the TV and see people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ and say like, oh, I don't think that way. I don't see the world that way and that's not what my faith looks like. So it's a misrepresentation that way. But the other side that's difficult is the quietness of the church of being able to get the real message out, which the real message is what we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. There's a God who is holy and he has reached out to us and wants a relationship with us and he's made a way for us through Jesus Christ to be able to have a relationship with him. Um, I think people really miss that, and they, if you ask them what Christianity is, they would tell you all of the negatives that we stand against, and they would also tell you, be a good person, try to be, you know, yeah. do the best things you can. So there, there's a PR problem in that. I think the big church, you know, if you looked at the church overall, um, I don't know, you know, God's in control of the church, but I would say, uh, you know, it's basically people growing closer and closer and closer to Christ is really the mm -hmm. ultimate solution for all things because that really covers all aspects. Yeah. You know, as we draw closer to him, he's gonna work through those issues and he's gonna lead and guide us and uh, he'll impact the church in a very positive way that leads us to become the church and the people that we really should be. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you, Dan. We're going to need to leave it here. Um, I'll answer that question someday in another context. Um, thanks for joining us today on Ask a Pastor. If you have questions, you can send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. Uh, whether or not you're part of Orchard Hill or uh, you've never been to Orchard Hill, we'd love to interact with your questions. Thanks for all the questions you've sent along and have a great day.